Good morning. It's good uh, to be uh, worshiping with all of you uh, this morning. Um, it's good to have uh, what's uh, oh, uh, Kyle, Kyle and Tessa. Um, I've, I forgot they've been gone for so long. Um, good to have them with us this morning. Um, <clears throat> Kyle and Tessa have been on a sabbatical uh, uh, for this summer, just taking a time of rest, and uh, and it's good to have them back. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome them. Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, before before they left, Kyle and I were talking about um, uh, you know me preaching this week, and he was telling me that we'd probably be done going through our study of, of Hebrews um, by by this time, so I could preach um, whatever I wanted to. And I said, whatever I want to. Um, so this morning, he's like, so what what uh, you know what controversial topic did you pick today? And I said, you'll have to see, because <clears throat> um, you know I could choose. We could talk about. Uh, uh, Christian nationalism, we could talk about racism, we could talk about gender and sexuality. Uh, we get a little, more, a little more religious or moral, we could talk about uh, giving, speaking in tongues, predestination. Um, who's, who's sweating? Kyle is, yeah. <laughs> uh, who's thinking, you know, I would love to talk about predestination because I could really use a nap. Um, actually, we can all take a, a collective sigh of relief because <laughs> I'm not going to talk about any of those specific things. Um, but I do want to make a point that um, it seems fairly self-evident to me that uh, we live in a pretty divisive, fractured world, right? The, the sweating or squirming that we all be, probably all just experienced is, is partial evidence of that. Um, the fact that uh, even, even trying to talk about those topics just brings division, I think, is evidence of that. People have left churches, uh, ended friendships, plummeted into states of depression, and more because of those topics that I mentioned, and those are just a handful of, of things that generate conflict and division in our world. I think it's fair to say that chaos, conflict, turmoil, these are the things that describe the state of our world. And, and I, I, I could point to, to, to stats and to studies that kind of show all these things, but I think we all just know. We all just feel it. Um, and so what are we to do? What can we do? Well, we can start, I think, by listening to Jesus and the counsel of God's word, right? Always a good place to turn to. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn to Matthew 5, um, that's where um, we will be this morning. <coughs> Matthew 5. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, you can follow along in, in your Bibles, or it'll also be on the screen behind me. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So really what I want to do this morning is just zoom in on verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is the controversial topic of talking about controversial topics, really. Um, 
And if we think, um, if we think this means, peacemakers, if we think this means to uh, live peaceably among people or, or to be at peace, as, as um, some places in the New Testament will talk, then we'll think Jesus means here something like um, be kind, um, have integrity, don't cause a fuss. And those things are good and right, and Scripture does speak to that, but that's not what Jesus mentions here. Here he's talking about peacemaking. The idea which, which we see all throughout Scripture um, is to strive after and pursue peace. It's active. So as he talks to his disciples on the mountain, he's telling them, um, so it seems, that those who are actively working towards peace are or can be blessed. Or, or that is to say, it's a, that they can be in a, in a happy or favorable state before God. So are we, his church, his disciples today, actively pursuing peace? Um, that's what I want to challenge us with us today. In, in light of our present state of affairs, in our ever more divisive culture, in a society full of inner angst, are we striving after peace? Um, to do that well, in a way that glorifies God and benefits humanity, there's, um, there's two components of peacemaking that I think we need to flesh out. Just, um, just two parts that I think we often get wrong and need to get right. Um, there's the peace part and the making uh, part of, of peacemaking. Just those two parts. I feel like, wait, that's the whole thing. Correct. So let's, let's dive in. <clears throat> the first part of that is the peace part of that. Let's, so we need to ask, what, what is peace? Um, what is this thing that we're supposed to be making? Um, that, that might seem kind of a, a silly question because it's such a, a common word. Like, we all know what, what peace means, right? Um, but if we're not careful here, we'll, we'll be like uh, uh, the guy at the water cooler at work who thinks he knows what everyone's talking about and then goes to chime in and everyone's like, you, you don't know what we're talking about. And you don't want to be that guy. So let's parse this out a little bit. Um, I imagine most of us, when we think of, of, of peace, we ask, what is peace? One of two things kind of comes to our mind. Um, we might think uh, personally or, or, or individually something like a, a inner calmness or lack of anxiety and fear. Um, or we might think um, socially, so an avoidance of, of conflict or, or a lack of conflict. Um, this could be on like a, just a person-to-person level or on like a global level, right? We could be talking about um, quarreling with a friend. We could talk about wars and, and things like that. Um, if we're working primarily with, with one of those ideas about peace, if it's just um, a lack of anxiety or a lack of conflict, I'm afraid that we will engage in a very narrow process of peacemaking. The biblical vision for peace um, certainly includes all of those um, ideas, but it's far richer uh, and grander and more encompassing. So laying underneath Jesus' teaching here is a vision of peace set out um, in in the Old Testament, really. Uh, Actually, some people have said that the the Beatitudes, this section of Scripture we read, um, it seems like it's just a commentary on Isaiah 61. It's, It's very much rooted in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, um, the kingdom of heaven, uh, he's essentially talking about the Old Testament um, reign of peace led by God's anointed king or, or Messiah. So the Hebrew word for peace here is, is shalom. And the prophets paint this beautiful picture um, for us about this shalom, about this reign of peace to open up our imagination to what God's uh, shalom will look like. And I wish we had time to like, go read all the passages that talk about that. So you just have to go and, and fact check me on this. You can look at Isaiah 2, um, 11, 61, um, Ezekiel 34. There's so many. Um, and, and when we look at these visions of God's peace or shalom, 
we see, we see this. We see that people live under the rule of God and the leading of his spirit. They're following his commands. Nations are gathered without war. Um, objects of war are actually transformed into objects of cultivation. Um, enemies become friends. Um, people experience joy and beauty, righteousness and truth, liberty and dignity, rest and plenty. There isn't destruction, but, but creation and creativity and cultivation. All creation, we see, is in perfect harmony and flourishing. Shalom carries connotations of, of wholeness, completeness, and togetherness, as well as uh, flourishing, well-being, and delight. Um, it's, like a, it's like a wall that is absolutely level and secure. There's no cracks. There's no um, mislaid or missing bricks. Nothing is out of order, but everything fits together just as it, it should. So we could synthesize all this to, to define peace in this way, and I, I have it um, up here. Peace is the enjoyment of harmonious relationships with God, ourselves, others, and creation. Peace is the enjoyment of harmonious relationships with God, ourselves, others, and creation. So notice two things here. One, this isn't just an absence of conflict. Um, There's enjoyment and delight and growth here. So peacemakers will seek more than just an end to hostilities, but they'll seek flourishing And the second thing you can notice here is that the togetherness of shalom, or of peace, um, includes a togetherness or wholeness of what we could call um, vertical, internal, and horizontal dimensions. So for everything to be in harmony, that requires us to be in a right right relationship with God. That's the vertical dimension. Um, But it also includes an internal or personal dimension. We, as individuals, are to be spiritually and physically and emotionally whole, um, free of any self-deception or sin. And then we have the horizontal dimension, and that could be restoring relationships between individuals, um, between groups, and even um, between humanity and nature. That's, that's, what the, that's the vision that we see in the Old Testament. So more often than not, when we're thinking about peace, we're, we're often thinking about just one, one of these dimensions. And it's a very flat vision of what peace is meant to be. So the first thing we need to do is get hold of this much grander sense uh, of, of harmony and beauty. It's, it's personal and social. It's physical and spiritual. It's not just um, a lack of conflict, but of flourishing and delight. So go spend some time in the Old Testament prophets. I know that's the, that's the, that's the call that she wanted this morning. Go spend some time in the Old Testament prophets. Um, and allow their picture of God's shalom to grab your imagination. That's a great place to start. But it still leaves us with the making part of peacemaking. How do we get involved in this process of transformation and reconciliation? Um, how, how do we become active participants in the kingdom of God? How do we actually make peace? So that's, that's our next question. How do we actually make peace? Um, it would be uh, amazingly ambitious of me if I thought I could like lay out all the biblical principles, principles for um, godly peacemaking um, in the time we have this morning, um, especially if we have this enlarged view of what peace means. Um, so I'm not even I'm not going to try to do that. But I do think um, there are, are, are some some, some uh, biblical principles that can lay a, a, a basic framework for us to to work from when we think about going and being Jesus' disciples as peacemakers. So we can, we're going to start with with um, two two basic principles. I think. Um, uh, here. Um, the first is that peacemakers tell the truth, 
And the second is that peacemakers engage in a spirit of love with the mind of Christ or with the character of Christ. So um, these two principles are really woven all throughout Scripture, um, but we see them especially clearly um, in Ephesians four fifteen through 16. Paul is talking about attaining the unity that faith brings and about all of us maturing into or becoming like Christ, or in other words, he's talking about peace. Um, but one thing that inhibits this is what he calls um, human cunning or um, craftiness and deceitful schemes. So let's see in, in Ephesians uh, 4 um, what, what he tells us. So he says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So how do we grow, in, grow up into Jesus? How do we start to work towards this peace? He says, by speaking the truth in love. Truth and love. Jesus himself, um, we actually read in, in John 1.14, is full of uh, grace and truth. Right? So there, we see here kind of the same thing as truth and, and love. Um, so if Jesus is even uh, said to be full of grace and truth, this is probably a good place to start. So let's look at um, telling the truth. Peacemakers tell the truth. Telling the truth is important because lies and deception are, are often at the root of conflict. You can think all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Um, the snake approaches Eve and deceives her, right? Did, did God really say don't eat the fruit? Um, actually, you'll, be, you'll become like God if you eat it. That lie festered and led to a break in fellowship with God. But if you pay attention, you can see that the break runs actually deeper um, than that. It, it, it runs broader than that. Adam and Eve hid from God and lied to themselves about their conditions. So their own selves are out of shalom, and then, of course, they're um, out of shalom or at odds with each other. And they're also at odds with the earth itself, which is now only going to give them food through toilsome work. So telling the truth participates in God's unraveling of the fall by revealing the real state of things. Telling the truth participates in God's unraveling of the fall by revealing the real state of things. You're exposing the conflict, the brokenness, the darkness, the sin, the evil. Um, that's in your own heart and in the rest of creation. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 11, um, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Um, this, this is going to be painful, probably, right? It's kind of, it's kind of like resetting a bone. Um, and that, 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 that is uh, not a pleasant experience, I would imagine. But, and so, so going to tell the truth actually might cause a little extra conflict initially. Um, but it then opens up the possibility for true healing and is the first necessary step in peacemaking. We have to tell the truth. We actually have to tell things how, how they actually are. Uh, but a word of warning needs to be added here um, because uh, some people love this idea of telling the truth, of, of uh, you know saying, saying what's real a little too much. Um, you're like, oh, oh, I got some truth to tell. You need someone to tell, tell it like it is? I got you. And um, I have a really great article for you that I came across this week. Um, the title of it was, Are You Principled or Just a Contentious Jerk? <laughs> that, that's for real. It was in a, it was in a, it was a, a journal for church leaders, actually, um, reminding us, hey, are you principled? Are you actually taking a stand? Are you actually t- speaking the truth? Or are you just a contentious jerk? <laughs> and there are a lot of pastors and, and social commentators out there 
who fall into that latter category. Um, they actually are speaking the truth, but they're doing it in such a way that, that um, it, it, it does not honor God, and, that's, and they're not peacemakers. And we don't want to follow that example. Um, to say this another way, um, less uh, crude, I guess, uh, we can look at uh, biblical sp- uh, scholar uh, Frederick uh, Bruner. This is, this is what he says about uh, right conflict. He says, but if conflict goes to the school of macho masters rather than to Jesus of Nazareth, at Nazareth, or if it is success or effective centered rather than Sermon on the Mount centered, if it is Marxized more than baptized, it becomes demonic. There is a false conflict just, just as there is a false irenic or a false peace. And Christians must fight on both their right and left flanks if they are to remain Christians and, to, and be called children of God. Um, I'm afraid we have some Christians unwilling or afraid um, to speak the truth on the one hand. And on, on the other hand, we could call them Christian activists on the right and left um, who have a skewed version of what exposing the darkness of what speaking the truth um, really looks like on the other hand. Um, that's because we have to remember the second principle, right? Not just that peacemakers tell the truth, but peacemakers engage in a spirit of love with the mind or the character of Christ. So we speak the truth in love. To, to speak the truth in love means to seek the good of others, even those people who talk too much and really get on our nerves, right? To seek their good. We restore and repair relationships um, in love. We see to it that all of our relationships on an individual, on a social, on a creational level, because remember, we're pursuing harmony on, on all, on, in all dimensions, to see that those are whole and filled with joy. And then we also make peace like Jesus, who didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, who came not to be served, but to serve, who was full of mercy and grace and compassion and gentleness. We follow suit and ought to be bastions of calmness and grace in a culture of hot takes, condemnations, and cancellations. Paul describes the kind of character the peacemaker has in Colossians um, 3, 12 through 15. And, and I think it just would be helpful just to read these. Paul says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Um, these uh, these are, are, are the virtues and the actions um, that, that we engage in. We, we take the log out of our own eye, we, we, we approach with humility, and then with that spirit of love begin to reconcile and introduce flourishing back into creation. But there's a word of warning here as well. Um, if some peacemakers who focus on truth-telling can be um, kind of harsh and overbearing and mean-spirited, um, some who focus more on love um, can be sentimental and risk-averse. Simply avoiding conflict um, or being an appeaser or just saying, you know, I- I'm just not going to judge. I'm just not going to judge. Um, that doesn't make you a peacemaker either. Um, it requires truth and love, both of those things together. So we, we can't commit the same error that some of the Jewish leaders um, uh, did that Ezekiel calls out in Ezekiel 13 and Jeremiah um, uh, calls out in, in Jeremiah 6. These leaders proclaimed to the people, peace, peace, and God said, but there was no peace. And, and he, he unequivocally condemns that. 
of saying peace, peace when there is no peace. So are we guilty of wrongly, of wrongly crying out, no, no, everything's all right here. There's, you know, there's nothing to see. Move along. Peace, peace. That's not, that's not loving. That's not peacemaking. Peacemakers tell the truth. Peacemakers engage in love. And then there's actually a third principle of peacemaking that I've, 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 I purposefully left out. I didn't, I didn't bring it up at the beginning. It's because I, I think that actually uh, without Scripture, you could arrive at these first two principles just through like general uh, wisdom. Right? I think Scripture definitely illuminates those things, but I think you could kind of arrive there without it. Um, and uh, also, if you noticed, I haven't really spent a whole lot of time in the Beatitudes uh, just yet, and that was that was purposeful because I think um, they actually provide the key point, and they provide what general wisdom will never arrive at. But to introduce this point, um, I need to highlight um, first the failure of most non-Christ-centered peacemaking attempts, right? Because I'm going to say Scripture has something different to add, and so so if these other forms of peacemaking don't have what Scripture has, why is it or how is it that they fail? Um, I, I, I came across a really interesting article this week called The Impossible Task of Truth and Reconciliation. It's an impossible task. Um, in it, the author discusses various attempts um, within the United States and throughout the world to create um, these truth and reconcilia- reconciliation commissions. Um, they're not always called that, but they have some similar name. Um, and their goal, the goal of these commissions, is to expose some evil that was committed in society and then bring healing and reconciliation uh, through some combination of, of forgiveness from victims on the one hand and then um, restitution or payment from perpetrators um, on the other. Um, the most famous of these commissions was actually called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, that was approved by um, Nelson Mandela and chaired by uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa after the fall of apartheid. And the article notes that these commissions uh, usually do a really remarkable job of telling the truth, of exposing sin and evil. But in the end, they all fail at bringing reconciliation um, or peace. It says actually they're promising, the article said they're, they're promising heaven on earth, and they can't deliver. Um, and why is that? Well, typically, um, the, the oppressors feel that what is required of them as restitution is disproportionate, and, and the victims feel that to ask them to forgive is to overburden them, to put a burden on them when they've already been uh, abused and taken advantage of. And they think that, that their forgiveness could actually encourage more perpetrators in the future, they say. Um, and that's actually a pretty common sentiment in today's cultural discourse. Um, and that's why peace is so difficult. It almost always requires forgiveness. And forgiveness, um, in, in a lot of ways, is actually seen as a means of uh, oppressing um, victims. And I, I want to be clear here. To, to try to force a victim to, to forgive is to put a too heavy of a burden on them. But what happens if, if no one is able to forgive? These commissions fail because there's one more crucial element of peacemaking. And it's only possible for those who are in Christ. Peacemakers must die. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that that's not what you saw coming as the third uh, principle here. That uh, peacemakers tell the truth, they engage in love, and then they die. Peacemakers die. Um, unless I'm much mistaken, no one really uh, wants to die. No one wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what today I'd really like to do is die. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not what we think. And so that's why uh, peacemaking is nearly impossible 
Right? So let's jump back into the Beatitudes um, to see how we even arrive at this conclusion that peacemaking requires death. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in talking about uh, really the whole Sermon on the Mount, um, he's summarizing the life of a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he, he describes the life of, the, of a disciple so um, succinctly and accurately when he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Um, this, is just, this is just who Jesus is speaking to, his disciples. Um, and yes, the crowd is kind of there, but we see at the beginning of our text here that he's addressing his disciples or his followers um, directly. And what he begins teaching them um, is, is rather shocking, although it's, it is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. If you're following him, if you're like him, you are almost certain to be poor in spirit, uh, mourning the present state of, of your heart and the world, um, humbled by humiliating circumstances, hungering and thirsting for all things to be made right. Um, and he says you can be blessed in that. These are people whose physical or spiritual conditions or the conditions around them are crushing. And they have no other alternative but to rely on the goodness and mercy of God. These are people um, who we would almost never say are blessed. Uh, No one is online posting, I just lost my job, hashtag blessed. No one says that. Um, Or I feel spiritually numb, hashtag blessed. No, no one says that. But if you're a disciple of Jesus... If you're following him and are united to him, you can say that. You are blessed. Um, how could that possibly be? Not because of the condition itself. Not because you're poor in spirit, not because you're mourning. It's because of the promises made to you. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth you will be satisfied. That's why disciples of Christ are blessed. His promises, which are absolute, provide a hope that penetrates these these deathly, despairing conditions. These are conditions that, that weigh you down. They drive you into the ground, into death. But his promises are life to those who find them. Okay, so maybe you're thinking, okay, so... How are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are doing righteousness in some kind of dying condition? Um, doesn't it seem rather, rather obvious that those who are merciful, um, are, they're going to be blessed, right? Because they're doing good, you're going to receive good. Isn't that how, how, isn't that how it works? Um, is that how it worked for Jesus? No. To walk the path of the merciful is also to die. Because you are giving of yourself uh, again and again um, for those who are in the most pitiable of conditions. And that's hard work. To be pure in heart is to die. It's to relinquish your will entirely to God. To set your heart solely on Him. Um, that's not easy. And the same is true of peacemaking. You must die a thousand deaths in the process of making peace. You sacrifice yourself, in a sense, whenever you expose the abuses that have been covered up at your work, even though it will cost you your job. Whenever you shut down gossip and defend the person that all of your friend group despises, you have to be willing to die a social death. Whenever you challenge the status quo of a certain relationship because um, it is unhealthy um, and and you need to just express your true feelings, you make yourself vulnerable. Uh, That's a kind of death. Really, the whole truth-telling component of peacemakers, being a peacemaker, requires a willingness to die. You'll have to uh, allow your pride to die in order to examine what portion you have contributed to a particular conflict. 
You will have to die to your idols and die to the lies that you have told yourself. You will have to die to your feelings when one or both of your daughters wakes up in the middle of the night every night for a week and you're so tired and frustrated and one is potty training and the other is teething and you have to preach about peacemaking on Sunday and so you want to see to it that your family is flourishing. Um, Taking on that responsibility when you'd much rather take a nap um, is also a kind of death. I feel like that was for someone specific here this morning. You have to be willing to accept that others will accuse you of treason. You're, you're, You're defending them? You will have to be ready to be misunderstood. That impulse to bite back when you are attacked, that will have to die if you were to see the process of reconciliation through to the end. You will have to die when you want to speak your mind so badly, but God is saying, listen and wait. Or uh, when you just want to stay silent and, and, and appease, avoid conflict, and the Holy Spirit is prompting you to speak and to address a wrong. Being a peacemaker requires you to forego vindication and self-justification. Like I I was saying earlier, it usually requires forgiveness, actually, which is to absorb, in a sense, the hostilities um, that are around you and to take them on yourself rather than perpetuating hostilities. That's why our culture struggles so much with making peace and why why our culture is so divisive. To die to yourself is foolishness. Not to fight back is weakness. Um, right? No one who dies could truly be blessed, right? How could that be? Um, that's the cultural wisdom, isn't it? If it is against our nature to walk this path towards death, what hope is there for us? What, what hope is for our world? Who can actually be a peacemaker? Right, that's kind of our, our, our last question to think about here. Who can, who can do that? The disciple of Jesus. Why? The promise you shall be called sons of God. Peacemaking doesn't make you blessed. It's, it's dying over and over again. Being a child of God, a recipient of his goodness and grace, that makes you blessed because you're sharing in the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit who resides in you. This enables you, it empowers you to walk in newness of life and be a minister of reconciliation or an agent of peacemaking in our world. And this is the good news. Look at Ephesians 2, um, 13 through 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus himself is our peace. And then Romans 6, verse uh, 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the good news. If you first receive this, if you first give yourself truly to Jesus and submit to him who first fully gave himself for you on the cross, you have a resource for peacemaking that the world doesn't. You have peace with God. That's the most essential dimension of peace and the only dimension that no effort of ours can actually repair. And if that relationship is reconciled, you have access to the life and love of the triune God. 
So then you can strive after peace, even if that means you must die to yourself again and again and again, because Jesus has blazed the trail before you. He pioneered that path of death long before on our behalf. And it doesn't end in death. It doesn't end at the cross. It goes to the cross, but it goes through death to the resurrection. And we get that resurrection life. We're buried with him, in, in, with him in death. We are raised to new life with him. So we are able to make peace because God has made peace with us. We are able to make peace because by Jesus' sacrifice, we can approach the throne of grace and receive his grace and mercy again and again, which can allow us to bear what no one else can bear. And we then can forgive when no one else would forgive. We can bless when others would curse. We're able to make peace because we live in a community of peacemakers. We're not alone. This is not an individual task only. We're able to make peace because each of us can shine a light into whatever dark corner we happen to walk through. It's not about changing all the, the, the world all at once. It's about walking faithfully and bringing shalom to our particular sphere of influence with our particular calling and gifts. We are able to make peace because it's actually God who is the ultimate peacemaker. And he is a loving father who's just inviting his children along to participate with him for the sole reason that he just wants us along. Right? Like I, I think about this and I think of um, uh, sometimes in the morning when I make muffins and I, I have my two-year-old get up on the counter and, and, uh, and stir up some of the batter. And she actually is doing something. She's participating with me. But I'm the one in charge there. And it's just the joy of us working together. And that's what peacemaking is kind of like too. So we don't have to have this pressure that it's all in us to like change the world. No, no. God is the peacemaker. And he's just like, hey, come along with me. This is going to be fun. We're going we're gonna to make things right. We're going to have joy and fellowship together. So this is an invitation to join him in that work. So to respond to this call of peacemaking, the, the, the first call, call to response is very clear. Receive the gospel. Receive the peace of Christ. I, 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 can't, I can't make it any plainer than that. If you are, are out of a relationship with God, if you are turning from him, peace is going to be something you're striving after and, and it's going to be just there, just there, just out of reach. But Jesus has actually come for you to bring you into that relationship. And so accept him. Trust in him. That's the first response. Receive his peace. For those who, who have um, received that peace, you need to be reminded of it. And you need to be on your knees in prayer again and again. Because to, to be a peacemaker, you have to, you have to maintain that relationship with God. We have to pray that we would experience that peace that passes all understanding again and again. Um, we, need, we need prayer to have that vision for what uh, uh, shalom really looks like. We have to, to pray that, that we would persevere when, when we are feeling just so empty. We have to pray that God would show us what we need to be doing to be making peace in our particular um, sphere of influence. If this, if peacemaking is not, if it doesn't first start with prayer, we're doing it wrong. We have to be praying. We can be taking in the visions of the kingdom in the Old and the New Testament to remind us what this reign of God looks like. Then we can speak the truth. 
preach the gospel, expose sin, lies, and conflict. We can engage in a spirit of love with the character of Christ, seek the good of others. We can forgive. We can make restitution when needed. And then we can be ready to die, knowing that we are secure and we're blessed because of the promises of God in Jesus Christ. We are his children. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are so good because whenever we would uh, create division and chaos and, and lies and sin and, and really just distort and corrupt the good world that you made, um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't leave us to, to our own devices. That's not who you are. You are a peacemaking God and you have made peace with us through Jesus Christ. And so the first thing I want to lay before you is for those who are far from you, would you draw them in? Would you tell them of your love and your grace? Would you let them know that there is peace with you? Stir their hearts, open their minds to receive that grace. They're trying to run, pursue them, go after them. Be a God of reconciliation. That's, that's what we know you to be. So, so would you be faithful to who you are and go and seek the lost and bring them into a fellowship with you? And then God, help us to be peacemakers. Our world is so divisive. It's so divisive. And you have not called us to be um, a, a people who are, who are a divided and disunified. You have called us to be a people of peace, of people who are striving after and pursuing peace. And this is a high calling. It's one that has a high cost. But we know that we have an even greater gift from you. We have that, that relationship with you. And would that be... The, the, the resource, the motivating power um, to, to help us to, to be peacemakers in our world that the world doesn't have. Just encourage us this morning. Help us to go from here in, in our homes and be peacemakers there, in our work and be peacemakers there, um, in our friendships, help us to be peacemakers there. And would we, would we just see not just an end to conflict, but, but of harmony and beauty and, and delight. That's the kind of people we want to be. And we know that with your spirit working through us, we'll see transformation. We'll see reconciliation. And we're already going to thank you for when that happens. So thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.